Oh, let me try that again. Good morning. So, and I want to, because I know um, we exit the building sometimes out different doors and stuff like that. I just want to be sure and wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, we're only seven days out. Seven days is the final stretch here. So, so big week as we lead up to Christmas. Um. You guys know what it is I'm talking about today, whether it be the the screen, whether it be what's sitting here on the table next to me, or whether it be uh, the cover of your uh, bulletin that you were handed when you were coming in. Uh, so I'm assuming you recognize this game, the Peanuts game. They've been around for a long time. In fact, I remember as a kid when... Uh, in elementary school, the only time I ever laid hands on our newspaper, we I grew up about seven to ten miles west of uh, Topeka, um, and so we got the Topeka uh, Capital Journal. And of course, back in the day when the newspaper, you know, had a lot more pages, was full size, all of that, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of on its way out. It's changing rather rapidly, but. But I never had any reason to lay hands on the newspaper. Um, and when I got in high school, I grabbed the sports section. That's when I started grabbing that. But, but before that, there was only one section I would ever grab, and it was one day of the week. It was on Sunday. It was the comics. And, uh, and I, I don't remember. I think there might have even been a middle page to the comics. My memory isn't clear enough on that. But if there wasn't, then I'm talking about four full pages of comics. The possibility of six full pages of comics. And that's the Topeka paper, so I would assume the Kansas City Star had that and more. Um, and, and so there were all some comics I didn't care at all for, others that I always wanted to read. And, and the Peanuts, as I recall, was always on the back side. There was a section... Uh, that was reserved for them, and I remember always reading about uh, Charlie Brown and the whole game. Now, what I didn't know until I got to looking into it in view of what it is that we're talking about here today, uh, they first appeared on the scene back in the early 1950s. So I didn't know it was that much earlier than when um, um, I started reading it. When it comes to Christmas, they made their great debut on December 9th, 1965. That's when Charlie Brown Christmas was first aired. Now, I don't know if I watched the very first one or not. I know over the years I probably watched, uh, watched that at least a couple of dozen times anyway. Um, I was only four years old when it first appeared on there, knocking on the door, being five. But uh, but it, it ended up being a big hit, although it is an interesting story. So let me just kind of, in a minute or two, kind of recap the story. The CBS Network, they approached Charles Schultz to do this. Uh, they, along with the main sponsor, which was Coca-Cola, um, they approached Charles Schultz to create a 30-minute TV special that would be aired uh, earlier in December of that year. Um, the thing was that they, they gave him a $150,000 budget 
to be able to work with. And when he created this 30-minute TV special and turned it in uh, for the network executives to look at and all this, um, they were not pleased with it. They had several uh, areas of concern that they expressed to Charles Schultz. First of all, there were only children's voices being used throughout the thing. And, uh, and they thought that that was a mistake. You need trained professionals to do this. But, and just, just as an idea here, insight, the girl all the way on the left, that is Charlie Brown's little sister, Sally. And the character that uh, actually provided the voice for her in this, uh, she was so young she couldn't read at all. And so every phrase, every sentence had to be verbally given to her for her to repeat to be able to be used in this special. So so we're not just talking about children as in adolescents and stuff like that. We're talking about some pretty young children that were used. Another thing that the network didn't like was that there was no laugh track being included with this. And they thought that that was a big mistake. I mean, this is a cartoon and you're not including a laugh track in it, they felt like that's going to come back and bite you. Another thing that bothered them is that the music was largely jazz, a style of music. And they said, that that doesn't fit. I mean, who we're trying to reach, and it's being in the version of a cartoon, and yet you've got a soundtrack involving jazz-style music, um, they said they felt like that was a big mistake. And that, that, those are just some of their concerns. Um, one of their biggest concerns of all involves the guy that's all the way on the right side, Linus. And you'll see this in the clips that I'm going to show here in a moment. Is that Linus, at a certain point in time, he quotes seven verses of scripture. Uh, and it's from the King James Version. And they saw that, and they were just like, oh, this is not going to work. You know, we, we don't want that in here. Well, anyway, so, so they voiced several of these concerns after the initial viewing, and they wanted Charles Schultz to, to change that. But he, as a committed Christian, he dug his heels in and said, I'm not going to change this. And I'm not going to change the things about kids' voices and all of that, but I'm certainly not going to be changing the part about the Scripture that is being included in this. And the network realized that they were in a tight spot because um, airtime was quickly approaching and there wasn't enough time to create something different. And so they decided to go ahead and go with this, and part of the thinking was they were hoping that people had short memories and after the viewing they would forget what it was that they had seen. So that, that's all part, part of the background of all this. Well, anyway, after it was actually aired on December 9th of that year, uh, the executives were astonished when they discovered that over 50% of U.S. homes with televisions were tuned in to this. It was a huge success. Later, um, in, in the following year, uh, it won an Emmy Award. It won a Peabody Award. TV Guide claimed that Linus's uh, Bible quotation 
was one of the top 35 moments in television history. So, I mean, it just, it just was everything that these network executives, you know, thought it wasn't going to be, and it ended up being all of that. And the Charlie Brown Christmas ended up being the longest-running Christmas special on CBS. Fifty-some uh, years, um, you know, just a few years ago, CBS sold the rights to it, and so so they don't air it anymore. So it might be a little bit harder to see it if you're trying to watch it on TV. But but for fifty some years, every year, this was being televised. It all starts out with Charlie Brown being in one of those funky moods. And if you've ever followed any of the Peanuts comic strips and all, you you know that that's not unusual. Charlie Brown, he's experiencing one of those moods. And in this case, um, at the beginning of this 30-minute special, he wants to be happy. He really wants to be happy. He sees that other people are happy. Yet one of his key lines at the very beginning is this, I just don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents, and sending Christmas cards, and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Nobody sent me a Christmas card today. I almost wish there weren't a holiday season. I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? Thanks for the Christmas card you sent me, Violet. I didn't send you a Christmas card, Charlie Brown. Don't you know sarcasm when you hear it? I always end up feeling depressed. That's the way he... He summarizes every, every every time Christmas rolls around, this is what I'm left with, is feeling depressed. And, and he makes that comment. He says, I know that nobody likes me. Why did they have to create a holiday to emphasize that? So so it, it does a pretty good job. Charles Scholes does a good job just right within the first two minutes of um, uh, this special in in characterizing uh, what is going on with Charlie Brown and and some of the thoughts? Um, he one of the statements he made was, "I think there must be something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I guess I just don't understand Christmas." You know, that's that's kind of where he's at. That's that's where he's at as far as any kind of a conclusion he's drawing is, "I must not understand it." Because uh, this really isn't doing anything for me. Yeah, he's he's pretty down. Uh, but the thing that effectively is drawn, and Charles Schultz was very intentional in this 30-minute, you know, cartoon special. He was very intentional in that there is a message, and it all flows all the way through it. And what he establishes 
right out of the gates in the first couple of minutes is that Charlie Brown is on a quest. Charlie Brown is looking. He's looking for not answers. He's looking for an answer. What is the meaning of Christmas? What's behind this? Why don't I feel the way that I'm supposed to be feeling? And so what he does is in the next uh, several minutes of the video is, is he encounters other people that are a part of uh, the Peanuts game. And they all represent different aspects of what happens in society, you know, regarding Christmas. So, first of all, he comes across Lucy. And if you know anything about Lucy, you know that Lucy has an opinion about everything, right? The problem is, you got to pay her for it, right? She wants that nickel. So, so Charlie Brown's, you know, confiding in her, and he's sharing, you know, why he's sad and all of this in regards to Christmas. But she holds this can up, and she expects her nickel. And once he pays the nickel, then she starts telling him what his problem is. And the problem involves involvement. He's not involved enough. She says that you need more Christmas activities to be engaged in. If you get involved more and are doing more things, then everything's going to change for you and you're going to be happy. And so what she, in effect, ends up doing is she recruits him to direct the Christmas play. Now, he's taken a little bit back by that, that she would pick him to do that. But he goes ahead and accepts that responsibility. And as you can imagine, it doesn't go very well. And it's because nobody will listen to him. Here he is at the practice, and everybody's just doing their own thing. And he's trying to get their attention, and, and they're just not listening to him. So, so that part is not flying very well. Charlie Brown walks on, and he comes across his best friend, Snoopy. And Snoopy is decorating his doghouse. He's got all kinds of lights and other decorations that he's putting up, and that's what Snoopy represents, is he's all about the lights and decorations and, and everything relating to that. In fact, Snoopy is entering into a contest, and he has a flyer that tells about this contest. And so that's what Charlie Brown is holding in the picture that you're looking at. And Charlie Brown reads a couple of statements that are found on that. One of those is this one. It says, find the true meaning of Christmas when money, 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 neighborhood display contest. And so that's what Snoopy is trying to do. Snoopy is trying to win the contest. And so he's putting up all these decorations on his little house. And, and in reality, you end up seeing later in, in the video that uh, uh, he wins. He, he gets first place with that. But that's the angle that, that he is approaching things. Charlie Brown walks on from there, and he bumps into his little sister, Sally. Now, Sally has a clipboard and a pencil, and, but, I mean, she is young, and that's the character that's being portrayed here is someone so young that she needs help writing a letter to Santa. So she gives the clipboard to Charlie Brown and asks him to write down as she explains what it is that she wants to be uh, to have written in this letter. And so she 
um, starts giving a long list of presents. You know, you need to tell Santa. I, there's a lot of things that I'm wanting. And start listing these down. And then she tacks this in there. Is that she says, if it is easier for you, Santa, you can just send cash. Make it tens and twenties. And uh, Charlie Brown, you know, he's scribbling away. He's writing what she's saying until that comes up. And then he gives her the clipboard back and he's done, you know, as far as writing any of that stuff. And and as she is fading from the scene, you hear her saying uh, one last statement. She goes, all I want is my fair share. And uh, and so there you have her. So So in Charlie Brown's mind, all of this doesn't help in any way to clarify what Christmas is all about, whether it be Lucy and getting engaged and having activities and having a full schedule at this season of the year that you're doing this and doing that and going here and going there, or whether it's Snoopy and it's all about the decorations that you're putting in your house and around your house, or whether it's uh, like uh, Sally and it has everything to do with the presents. You know, she wasn't buying presents, but whether it be in our case, the buying of presents, the wrapping of presents, the giving and the receiving of presents. From Charlie Brown's perspective, all of this seems so shallow. It seems so superficial. It's really not answering his quest of what is Christmas all about. He, in fact, even uh, when the play doesn't work out because no one's listening, he he decides he's going to go get a Christmas tree. And we all remember how that turns out, right? You know, exhibit A here. Yeah, that doesn't turn out very well. We're back. Stupid Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd scoop it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. Yeah, even his best friend, man's best friend's dog, laughing at him. You know, it's it's uh, maybe just uh, irony or coincidence, but um, it was when I was about that age, turning five, that uh, mom started uh, telling me and my older brother that calling someone stupid is wrong. And maybe it was the influence of this. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't work out very well. And he is certainly anything but popular with his friends. And so now we kind of come to the big moment. Charlie Brown isn't any closer to feeling the way that he's supposed to feel of trying to figure all this out. What is the true meaning of Christmas? In fact, if anything, it appears that all of his friends have also lost sight 
of the meaning of Christmas. The only thing is, in their case, they don't realize that they've lost sight of it. And, and, and the whole point, remember, Charles Scholes is putting this together because he actually is sharing a message here that he knows there are going to be many, many homes. I don't know if, if he you know, anticipated that there would actually be millions of homes that would be watching us this that very first time that was aired. And by the time you talk about future years, I mean, I don't know if they had the vision to see, you know, that there would be tens of millions and millions upon millions of people that, that would end up seeing this. But, but part of what he was trying to communicate is that this can happen so easily to any of us. We can get so caught up this season, this time of year, we can get so caught up in activities, whether it be um, parties that we're going to, um, whether it be personal, family, or just circle of friends or work-related parties that we're going to or uh, programs and plays that we need to go to and, and all of these different activities or it be decorating inside the house, around the house, in the front yard and all of that, whether it be the gift buying, going out and shopping and and wrapping of gifts, or it be the baking. You know, I don't know, some of you in your home probably have either started doing that, or if you haven't started doing that and you plan to do it, you're going to be doing it pretty soon. You know, all the baking and, and everything that goes in. It's so easy to get so caught up in all of that, that in a very real sense, that is about all that we see. And this season basically becomes all of that kind of stuff. Charlie Brown is just realizing that doesn't address what he's looking for. That doesn't explain um, in any real sort of a way what Christmas is all about. And so in desperation, he does the only thing he could think about doing is he shouts. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. He shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown.
behold, I'm going to tell you a great story, which is new to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Linus is right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. Yeah, and as Charlie Brown says, Linus is right, or maybe better stated, Charles Schultz is right, that this is what what Christmas is all about. This is what it is all about. The verse that is used there by Linus is this verse, and I know it's a small font. I don't intend for us to read it, but I just wanted you to see it. That's seven verses. Smack dab in the middle of Luke chapter 2, which is the most detailed telling of the Christmas story. Matthew would probably come in second. But but Luke, you know, he, he focuses on a lot of these details as far as as far as far uh, Bethlehem and, and the shepherds in the field and all of this stuff. And, and this is what Linus had quoted in telling, uh, in answering the question of what Christmas is all about. Christmas... It's all about some good news of great joy. And as the angel said, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, and it is Christ the Lord. This is what Christmas is all about. This is at the very core of what Christmas is. And it's, it's so easy, as has already been pointed out, it's so easy to get so caught up in the planning. Some of you are going to be traveling later this week. You know, and you probably worked out some of those details. You know what day you're going to be leaving and, and uh, you know, and you'll get a suitcase out and throw a few things in it if it involves spending a night or two, you know, someplace. Maybe when you saw the forecast today for this week, maybe you're going to uh, rearrange your days instead of traveling like uh, – what days is it supposed to be a high of four degrees this week? Maybe you'll decide if you were going to travel that day. Eh, I don't think we'll travel that day. We'll travel a day earlier or something like that. But but you, you, you've you worked out some of that kind of stuff. Um, if you have people coming over to your house, you probably uh, have already or you're going to do that. Maybe even today after the Chiefs game, you're going to go in and strip the bed sheets off and wash all those and get those ready you know, for some of the people that are going to be staying at your house uh, to be able to sleep on. And, and, and our mind is, is sometimes so geared up in ramping up to the big event of having family, having big meals, and all of this, that we lose sight of what caused all this celebrating to begin with, what the focal point was at the very beginning. And that's part of what Charles Schultz is trying to do, is trying to get that across. The message of Christmas has everything to do with conveying loudly and clearly that you matter to God. I mean, that's the bottom line of all of this. The whole reason what happened in Bethlehem happened in Bethlehem. The whole reason that Jesus temporarily set aside his glory in heaven and took on human flesh and became a little vulnerable baby. The whole reason behind all of that is the fact that God was thinking of you and was thinking of me. And that's what was driving all of this. 
I mean, when we remove all of the distractions, distractions like Christmas trees and lights and parties and presents and, and big meals, even going a step beyond that, when we remove the stable and the manger and the shepherds and the straw, the wise men, the star, we remove all of those things away, what we're left seeing is a very clear reminder of our worth in God's eyes. Because that's what was driving all of this. If God did not value you, if God did not value me and the rest of us, Christmas would have never happened. It would have never happened. But the fact is, He did value you. And He valued me. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. I mean, you think about it. When someone goes out of the way for you, it means a lot, right? Sometimes we don't think about it, and that's our mistake, you know, to, to not reflect on that. But when you do reflect on it, yeah, it does. It means a lot. I remember here just... Uh, uh, and I lose track of time, but we'll guess three years ago or so. Um, Dan and Wendy Simmons. Dan heads up our our sound ministry team. And Dan and his wife and their kids, uh, they came over to my house, our backyard, several trees. I had planted there when we first moved there, and that was in the year 2000. So those trees are pretty good size now, which means... At a certain time of the year, it creates quite a mess in my backyard because there is a ton of leaves back there. And with some of the chest pains and stuff that I was having, um, you know, leading up to it, it finally was decided to do another heart calf, and they found a blockage, and they put in another stent. And, you know, that was three, four years ago that all that happened. And, and when I came home from the hospital, spending the night in the hospital, from that procedure, Dan and Wendy were in our backyard along with another individual, and and they were raking up and they were bagging the leaves and and just just as an act of service, as an act of love. And uh, um, I got to tell you that at that particular point in time, I mean, I knew Dan and Wendy, and I'd had multiple conversations with with them, but it wasn't like I felt tight with them, like a strong friendship or something along those lines and and but boy what happened on that day with the number of hours that they spent there working it communicated a really big message to me and to Colette and that is that they loved us and they cared enough for us they valued us enough that they were going to do that even though it took a big chunk of whatever day that was you know that that they did all of that I think about uh, Rusty Thomas. You know, Rusty's been a part of the church now for, uh, um, well, going on 27 years. He's been here uh, pretty much from the, the very beginning. In fact, opening Sunday, he was here on opening Sunday when we started in the school down the road. And, and so I've known Rusty for a long time. Well, five years after I had moved here, you know, the decision was made I was going to sell the house that we were living in. Uh, I didn't think long-term it would serve our purposes. 
Um, and but I, I, there was a couple repairs I needed to do, and then we were going to buy another house, basically in the same area, which is the house we still live in today. But one of the things that I knew I needed to do was to re-roof the house. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, gotten quotes on how much it costs to roof a house. We didn't have that kind of money, and it's like the only way I'm going to get this done is going to have to get up there and do it myself, and and hopefully somebody else is going to help me. Rusty, he caught wind of it, and he volunteered. And I don't remember how many days it took, but every night after work, he came over to the house, and on Saturday and Sunday, the second half of the day, on Sundays, and he, along with another fellow here in the church um, that, that used to be in the church, uh, we worked on the house, and it wasn't an easy house. There were several ridges and all of this. It just kind of complicated the whole process. And, and uh, But i got to tell you something, that um, that sent a very loud message, not just regarding Rusty, but in regards to his wife, Colleen, because all the time he was away from home as well, that he valued us, that he cared for us enough that he would serve us by investing all of those hours. I went through a stage of having broken down cars around my house a lot. Yeah, that's part of raising kids. And uh, and our boys made it so that we could not afford full coverage on the cars they were driving. Too many fender benders. And so all we could afford was liability. And, of course, that meant that the quality of the kind of cars that they were driving, you know, was questionable from day one when we would buy it. And so I was working on cars more than any other time in my life. And uh, Jack Stowe, um, the n- number of hours that he would come over to my house and he would help and, and getting his hands all greasy and, and I never paid attention. My dad was a jack of all trades. I was too busy playing sports and, and so Jack was basically teaching me, you know, some of the basics and, and some of the beyond basics as far as working on cars and the mechanicing work and all of this. And then, you know, following all of that, when I was able to actually tackle things myself, I still spent considerable time on the phone with Jack, and he would walk me through things, you know, over the phone. And that sent a very clear message. And and uh, one that really has served, you know, to deepen a friendship that Jack and I have had for many years now. You know, and, and, and I could go on and I could share other examples of individuals within the church and individuals that from years back that were in a previous church that, that we had served at. But they all send the same message because they were willing to go out of their way because they invested hours of time, and in many cases, days of time, it communicated to me and my family that they valued us, they cared for us, they loved us. And that was a message that uh, um, has stuck with us all this time. Well, in a very real sense, isn't that what Jesus did for us? He went out of his way for us. 
I mean, he, he temporarily set aside his glory in heaven and took on human flesh and came down into this realm. And it wasn't because he was bored in heaven and he wanted to stretch his legs and do a little bit of sightseeing. It was because he was coming down here for our benefit. And he took upon himself mistreatment and crucifixion along with all the rest of the floggings and beatings and, and all of that that went into it. He died on the cross on our behalf. And all of that communicates something very clearly that he values us. He values you. He values me. The thing we need to be careful about doing is keeping him in a manger. Don't keep Jesus in the manger. I think this is one of the reasons that sometimes, you know, people that are fringe believers, fringe Christians, if there is such a thing, um, the, the reason they can feel comfortable doing that is because a baby in a manger isn't very threatening, right? And so they can kind of get into the Christmas side of things. But it's when that baby got out of the manger, and some of the teachings and all, he had a way of stepping on people's toes, and being very direct and honest with people. And that's the part of Jesus that some people kind of distance themselves from and don't really want to have, you know, anything to do with. But the Christmas Jesus, yeah, the baby in a manger, they're good with that. But the reality is, it's what happened after Jesus got out of the manger that made all the difference. I mean, he had to come. He had to come into this world. He had to take upon the human flesh to be able to be qualified to do what it is that he did by offering that ultimate sacrifice for all time. Taking the guilt of our sin upon himself and paying that price and in exchange giving us his righteousness. You know, this is all part of the process. But the reality is he did not stay in the manger. John said it this way in 1 John Chapter 4, it says, God's love was revealed among us. And part of all of that being revealed, it included the Christmas story here. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. What did the angels say? This day in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. John's talking about the very same thing that the angels said when they made that announcement. That this was God's love. This is, is how you see and grasp and appreciate the love of God for you and for me. Is to reflect on the gospel. Reflect on Jesus and his coming into the world. And not just his coming into the world, but what he did when he was here. That shows us, proof positive, that God values us. That we are special in his eyes. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is what the Christmas story, it's all part of passages like that. For that to happen, Jesus needed to be born into the world.
I do when I was collecting some of my thoughts as to what I was going to share, you know, here today, um, that there would be some people that would be hearing what I was saying because they're either sitting in a chair in this room or upstairs or watching online um, as we live stream it, that there would be some people who don't feel very special. That kind of has the Charlie Brown thing going on. They're alone. They're working under the, the, the thought, nobody cares. Charles Schultz was intentionally depicting that in the cartoon because he knew that that's where some people live their lives. With that kind of thinking going on. Thinking that nobody cares. I'm all alone. But that's the whole point that I've got news about today. Is that whenever that kind of a thought enters into our mind, all we need to do is spend a little bit of time reflecting on Jesus' entry into the world. Because that debunks that. That indeed there is someone who cares. It's God. Otherwise Christmas would have never happened to begin with. The nativity scene comes in all shapes and sizes, but the message is consistently the same. And of course, if we're going to talk about this, then we need to kind of think about what this led to, the purpose behind this. Why did he come into the world? That was not an end in itself, but it led to this. And his voluntary death on the cross, on your behalf, on my behalf. And again, it communicates the same thing. There is somebody who cares. There is somebody who loves us. I like the way Paul said it in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He devotes about two chapters talking about the subject of giving. I'm talking about monetary giving. And he's writing some words of instruction to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about how, as believers... As followers of Christ, this is an appropriate thing. It should be a natural thing that we engage in, that we ought to be generous. And it's a demonstration and expression of our gratitude. It's, it's an act of worship. And so that's, that's part of what Paul is teaching in 2 Corinthians. And he gives a couple examples of others in hopes that that will inspire the Christians in Corinth to be generous in the way they go about approaching their lives. But he, he, he appeals to the ultimate example of all in one verse. It's the last verse of chapter 9. He says, thanks be to God for his gift that is too wonderful for words. Now that's the New Century version. But it says, thanks be to God for his gift. It's talking about the gift of Jesus. It's too wonderful for words. Now, you perhaps read the New American Standard or Holman's Christian Standard Bible or the NIV. Well, they're worded slightly differently. They say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It means the same thing. Indescribable. You can't come up with the words. You can't come up with the adjectives that really capture it. You, you would like to, but you just can't do it. Because his gift 
is so incredible, it's beyond verbal expression to really try to summarize it. When you look at the messages found in the Bible and the gospel story, there are two events in particular that really stand out. And some of the highest um, holidays on the Christian calendar involve Christmas and Easter, right? So you got the cradle and the cross, you know, being characterized here. And I've been in, in multiple uh, different uh, Bible study situations where it almost becomes a debate issue among people is which is more important. Was it the cradle? Was it his birth? Was it the celebration that we have at Christmas? Was that more important? Or was it the cross? And what all is associated with the cross? The burial and the resurrection. You know, what we do at Easter. Which is more significant? And the reality of the matter is, it's like two wings on a plane. How do you answer that question? And saying one is more important than the other. Like two wings on a plane, they both have one in the same message. And that is God loves you. The whole reason his birth took place, the very thing that we're right in the middle of right now, leading up to Christmas, seven days from now, the whole reason that took place is because he loves you. And the whole reason what we celebrate in a few months at Easter that we should gear up and be motivated to celebrate is, again, because God loves us. During our time of communion, I'm going to encourage you to reflect on that a bit. While you take the bread and you eat it, you're reflecting on the body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross, the body that he received at his birth, for the purpose, ultimately, of offering the greatest sacrifice of all. A sacrifice for you and for me to, to serve as our Savior so that we might have life eternal. So when we take the bread, we reflect on that. We take the cup of juice and we drink that. We remember the blood of Christ that he intentionally, voluntarily shed on our behalf so that we could have eternal life. Yeah, the meaning of Christmas it's that God loves you more than you will ever, ever be able to describe or that I will be able to. That's the bottom line. And that is worth celebrating. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for the conviction of men and women of faith over the years, like Charles Schultz, and the way that he wanted to get that message out. And such an enduring way for decades was a message. Many of us have heard multiple times, and countless other people as well. We're thankful for the good news. The good news of your love. We don't deserve it. In fact, in spite of ourselves, in our undeserving ways, you did what you did. And it's because of your, the way that you saw us and valued us. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that this week, leading up to Christmas. We'll celebrate it at Easter in a few months. 
the Lord we celebrate it year-round. The fact that we are not alone, the fact that it's not true that nobody cares, we know that you care. And we're thankful for the reminder during this season of Christmas. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.